Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Lord, at the sound of your name, demons flee, sickness flees. All the things that incapacitate us are made right and whole. At the sound of your name, we are healed. At the sound of your name, we are restored. If not today, then one day, completely. You are the name above every name, and you have given that name to us. So I pray today we would learn more how to live wisely as Christ followers who have been given your wisdom in a world that is chaotic and broken and confused. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And a quick announcement uh, for kids ministry. They asked if I would let you know... um, we, we've talked about the fact that we're trying to give our entire kids ministry team, all the volunteers that have been working so tirelessly, a break for uh, July and August. And we need a lot of volunteers. If we have enough people, we can, we can do that where you're only working and serving one Sunday. But we actually think it's a privilege and it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. You might actually really enjoy and find a calling in working with kids because we don't see our kids ministry as a place where we're just babysitting kids during service. We see it as a place where we are making age-appropriate disciples. We're teaching kids in their age how to experience God's love and live for Him. So if you would like to help us out with that, um, they asked me to tell you that it's, it's not going to be enough just for you to text them or catch them in the hallway. Um, they want all that information on one sheet of paper. So even if you've already talked with one of them, if you can get it on one sheet of paper so they can just look at it in one place and see where you volunteered. So at the welcome desk in the lobby after service, would you mind signing your name and giving your information, even if you've already talked with the kids ministers about that? And again, we have um, the services live streaming in the, in the lobby. If, um, if you have kids and they start getting a little restless, you're, you're welcome to go back there and enjoy the service uh, in the lobby. And happy Father's Day. And thank you. And I would like to encourage you to take some time and think about some, something good that you've learned from your dad. Uh, if your dad is still around, um, after you do that and think about it and thank God for that, whatever it is that you've learned from your father, share it with him. If your dad's not around, you can just remember him fondly and think of those lessons and thank God for the way that he's influenced you. Uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks a lot is Uh, the fact that my dad saw family as vocation, as his primary vocation. And we were talking yesterday, we had a a marriage intensive here, and we were talking about the fact that we were actually meant to go into our lives with the strength of God and our families at our back. 
a lot of people see family as uh, the part, the aspect of our lives, they're always going to be there, so we kind of take them for granted, and they're kind of like, they get the leftovers. But biblically speaking, that is the most important, that is the primary vocation for all dads, is their families, and we take the strength that we receive from our families through God's love and through their love into the world with us. And uh, my dad did that brilliantly. Um, he, he always saw family as his primary vocation. My dad could have coached at any level, football or basketball, I think. He was one of the youngest coaches to ever be named head coach of Norway in high school, football, varsity. He was very young, and um, he was brilliant. He had this incredible capacity to both motivate and be a tactician. He could do both, and that's a very rare thing to be able to do both those things. He could have coached at any level. I honestly believe that. And because he had three kids and because he never really figured out how to integrate, there's a way to integrate family with coaching, I think, but he never was able to figure that out. Um, and the way that he was wired just didn't work. So he stepped out of coaching. He did one year of uh, head coach of uh, Norway and then stepped out of that because it was taking too much time away from his family. And again, I think it's possible to do it. He just couldn't figure it out. But for him, for his kind of smaller capacity, just like me, um, he decided since he wasn't able to figure that out, he was going to just focus on family, his primary vocation. And um, I am who I am today because of that. My sisters are who they are because of that. And uh, it was an example for me and a model for me and something I'm very grateful for. So I thanked God for that this morning. Again, spend some time thinking about what is something, like genuinely pondering, what is something that I've learned from my dad that has influenced me? If he's around, share it with him. If he's not, thank God for it. All right, we're going to continue walking through James. The Bible makes us wise. It doesn't just give us abstract impractical advice that doesn't make any earthly difference. And it doesn't just give us earthy advice that's very practical without any spiritual significance. Now, the United States, I said this before, the only philosophy that we've contributed to the rich world of philosophy is pragmatism which means if it works, do it. You don't have to think on a higher level to see if this is a rich and good and spiritually enriching way to live. It's just if it works, do it. That's, that's the kind of sad contribution that we've made to philosophy. But the Bible does both. It doesn't just give us the abstract but deep and profound truths, it links those things to our life on earth. In his book, Laws from Heaven for Life on Earth, written in 1873, uh, Reverend William Arnott says, the one would be a soul without a body. So just you know, abstract advice that doesn't really impact your real life is like a soul without a body. The other is like a body without a soul. You know, earthy advice, practical advice that doesn't, that's not attached to higher things like the spiritual life. The one, he says, a ghost. The other, a carcass. 
One is ghost and just, you can't really wrap your fingers around it. The other is a carcass. It's just how to live here in this world without thinking of the spiritual world, so it's just dead advice. He says, the aim is to be doctrinal without losing our hold of earth and practical without losing our hold of heaven. We live in two colliding worlds right now. When Jesus comes back and we are glorified and he recreates creation, those two colliding worlds will become one. But right now, we we live in a visible world that we can see and touch and feel, and we live in an invisible world too, in an invisible kingdom that's covering the earth. And we're supposed to not be so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good. We're supposed to be so spiritually minded that we are earthly really good. It's a silly thing to say that someone's so spiritually minded they're no earthly good. That doesn't make sense. Because when you learn how to live with expertise in the spiritual realm, you actually become very fruitful, very helpful, very productive in the earthly realm. It's a false dichotomy. There are two types of wisdom in the Bible. This is what the Bible calls this wisdom, learning how to live in both colliding worlds wisely, collaboratively, seamlessly. And there are two types that the Bible gives us. One is natural wisdom, and these are in your notes. Natural wisdom. This is like the book of Proverbs. Natural wisdom tells us, teaches us ways to minimize suffering and increase joy while living in God's creation. Now, the book of Proverbs teaches you how to live well on earth in light of who God is. So it demands first that we acknowledge that God is God and that we have a certain amount of fatherly respect and sobriety, and it uses the word fear for him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So Proverbs teaches us how to live wisely on creation in light of who God is and to minimize our suffering. And there's very practical ways it teaches us how to minimize self-inflicted suffering, how to make less mistakes in life. That's what Proverbs does. I'll give you a couple that's interesting. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. That's amazing. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. In other words, it compares someone who is foolish and who, who doesn't appreciate the fact that you can produce, you can yield a lot more crops with an ox. It compares that with someone who's willing to do the work of having an ox and having to shovel a bunch of crap out of the stall. To have a clean stall, and I heard another pastor say this just so brilliantly, to have a clean stall just for the sake of having a clean stall is worthless and pointless. You have a stall, not just so you can say, look how clean my stall is. You have a stall so that you can put an ox in it, so that you can produce a lot more fruit and work. 
It's worth having an ox. It just means you have to do a little bit more maintenance in life. This is for people who are afraid to take on harder tasks or to take on more responsibilities because they're going to they're gonna have to maintain it. When whatever they take on is going to enrich their lives and the lives of other people. They'd rather not have an ox though. No, because then I'm going to have to clean up after. Well, <laughs> it's worth it because you're, you're benefiting people. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. What about this one? This is Proverbs 15, 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. It's like saying it, it's better to go to someone's house. It's better to live in a house where all you're eating is ramen noodles all day. <laughs> if you guys love one another, than, than having the best steak every day when you don't really like each other. That's just like down-to-earth, practical, pithy truth. This one's funny. Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Lazy people say stuff like that. Chances are, I mean, there could have been a lion outside, but it says the sluggard says there's a lion outside. I could be killed in the streets. In other words, a sluggard or a lazy person will... Minimize every risk in their life so that they can just kind of stay at home and do nothing. So they can, they can eliminate any type of work because if I, I would go to the grocery store today, but if I get in the car, I might get in an accident. Yeah, <laughs> you might, but you still got to go to the grocery store. You still got to live. This is for people whose lives are very, very small because they live by the rule of fear. There's a risk in everything we do, and this Proverbs is teaching us, this Proverbs is teaching us, accept it. What if there is a lion? You do get eaten. It's better to live and get eaten by a lion. That's an interesting way to die than just to stay at home and never do anything. Proverbs, ways to minimize suffering and increase joy while living in God's creation. And if you want practical insight, this is interesting, if you want practical insight, if you want to learn how to live well, you can read one proverb, one chapter, one chapter a day for a month. There's 31 proverbs. It'll give you very practical insight on how to live. And I dare you, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. And I dare you to live according to how Proverbs says and see what happens. These apply when life is going along well. This type of wisdom works when life is working well, when there's not any major crises, when, there, when life isn't falling apart, when you're not in the midst of a heavy trial. But there's another type of wisdom that Scripture gives us that works when things are falling apart, and that is radical wisdom in your notes. Proverbs, natural wisdom, then we have radical wisdom, which is how to live well in the midst of confusion, trials, and suffering. This is books like Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes teaches us how to live well when life is absurd. Ecclesiastes teaches us how to live well when life seems to be collapsing of all meaning. Ecclesiastes 
teaches us how to live well when you've accomplished everything you can possibly accomplish in life and you're still, you just feel like it's all meaningless. Ecclesiastes teaches us how to live well in the midst of chaos. It's radical wisdom. The book of Job also teaches us radical wisdom, how to live well in the midst of deep suffering while God seems silent. When you are, what Job teaches us is when you are experiencing real suffering, trite bumper sticker Christian sayings don't work. They do not match the complexity of human suffering. Job was in serious pain and his friends were giving him t-shirt slogans. So Job turned to God with a list of demands in the form of why questions. Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why? All his questions were why and God didn't play by the rules that Job established because he didn't answer any of his why questions. You know how he answered? He answered with who. He answered the question of who. The question that Job should have been asking. God essentially said in so many words, do you know who I am? Were you with me at the beginning of time? Are you the one that tell the proud waves where to stop? Are you the one that know where all the storehouses of snow are in the world? Are you the one that created the universe? You can't possibly know all that I'm doing. The whole book of Job focuses on the fact that God's wisdom transcends human wisdom. And as my Old Testament professor says, in the end, Job covers his mouth and says, I've spoken rashly. In other words, my bad. I will take my proper place again. And then God restores him. This radical wisdom is what James is talking about in our passage for today. You can turn to James chapter 1, where you can follow along in your notes. Last week, we talked about the trials of life and how those trials mature us. And I'm going to read for us again James 1, 2 through 4, just to remind us, because there's an order to these. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's the, it's the image of staying under, remaining under a heavy load, a heavy burden that you are carrying. That's what steadfastness is. It's not dropping it. It's not putting it down. It's not giving up. It's allowing the pain, the suffering of whatever trial you're experiencing to finish its work. And when we do that, when we stop trying to escape out from underneath the load that God has called us to carry in whatever season that we're in, when we remain under it, he perfects us. He matures us. He increases our ability to receive grace from him to get through all the hard stuff of life that we're facing. But there's one element missing 
There's one thing we need to add to that. It's not just, you know, sucking up and just enduring it. It's not just, I'm going to tough my way through this. There's one part of this that that is missing, and that's what he goes into in this next couple of verses. It's James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. In other words, God's not asking you just to endure it without any type of understanding. Let him ask God who gives, to ge- who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You're carrying this load, and it's heavy, and you're tempted to put it down. And what God is inviting you to do is ask, why am I carrying this load? What's going on right now? What are you trying to teach me? How are you training me? How are you trying to strengthen me? It's a whole different level of spiritual maturity than just telling people what to do or what not to do. It's learning how to live with pain while remaining joyful and trusting. That is Christianity 1000. So many times in church we teach Christianity level 100. Here's all the things you're not supposed to do. When we started our shepherd team, we said we are, we are not going to be a church that eliminates all manner of freedom. We're going to be a church that raises people who are mature so that we don't just have to tell people what to do. You will know how to live wisely because you are walking with Christ in a mature, fully orbed, fully developed way. That's what wisdom does. And God invites us in this passage as we're carrying these burdens, as we're going through these trials, to ask him to help you understand. Give me wisdom. Give me insight on, as to what you're teaching me in this. What do you want me to know through this? This is the relational way to walk with Christ. It's the relational way to grow and to mature. Number one, here's three observations from this. We are made to receive, there's your fill in the blank, we are made to receive wisdom from God, not come up with it on our own. We are made to receive wisdom from God, not come up with it on our own. The question every human being must answer is this. Am I going to be my own God or am I going to allow God to be God? Adam and Eve were tempted and Eve was tempted by Satan in Genesis 3-5 when Satan said, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's talking about this forbidden fruit that God said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan tempted her by saying, God knows you'll, just be, you'll be just like him if you eat of it. God doesn't want you eating like that because then you will become God. You will become your own God. You won't need him. You can have wisdom that is from you, your own experience, your own knowledge. You don't need some God telling you how to live wisely. The universe is divided into two categories, 
creator and created. Creator is a very small category. Created is everything else. We are creatures. We are meant to receive life from God. In him is life. That is the aseity of God. It means self-sustaining life. It means I am the only being in this universe that lives in my own power. That's God. Everybody else is dependent on, on God for life. We depend on God for strength. We depend on God for wisdom. We were made to receive all that we need from God, including wisdom. We are receivers. And so when we don't have this habitual way of living where we're constantly going to God and seeking his perspective, his input, his wisdom on a situation, then we're missing out. We're trying to live in our own wisdom. And we've got this tiny, 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 tiny little perspective. When God has, when God sees it all from beginning to end, the entire thing, and so we can tap into his perspective by asking him for wisdom. Number two, God gives us wisdom generously, single-mindedly. I might have made up mindedly. Is that a real word? Does anybody know? Single-mindedly sounds good. Yeah. Single-mindedly. God gives us wisdom generously, single-mindedly when we ask him in faith. The word for generously, the word for generous, the root means singular. So it's a, this idea of God gives us single-minded advice. It's kind of a play on words when in a little bit he says, don't be double-minded. We're receiving single-minded wisdom from God when we ask in faith. First thing we see there is we ask God in faith. We ask in faith. That's how we're to ask, believing that we will receive, believing that God will reward us. Whatever we do in faith, God's going to reward. Whatever we do in faith, he's going to reward it. We're made to live in an atmosphere of faith. That's our main, that's how we make decisions. Is this going to require faith? So Hebrews 11.6, heard this at Southside a million times. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Second thing is we ask continuously. The word for ask in this passage is present imperative, which means it's a continuous thing. So you don't just ask for once and that's good for the rest of your life. You are continuously asking. That's like the husband that um, the wife complains because he never says that he loves her and he, she said, uh, and he says, I, told, I did tell her I loved her when we got married and that she's supposed to live off that for the rest of her life and it doesn't work very well. Um, it's something that should be said often and going to God for wisdom is the same thing. You can't just ask for it once. It's something that you continuously go to as you're interpreting what's happening in your life. You can't figure out. You have no idea what's happening in your life. You have no idea what God's doing. You don't know if it's good or bad, honestly. No matter what it is, you have no idea if it's good or bad. You just don't know. You don't have a large enough perspective. So we tap into God his wisdom, and we ask continuously to help him interpret what's actually happening in my life. When we ask in this manner, God gives us wisdom generously or single-mindedly. Here it is. The single-minded purpose 
behind all the wisdom that God gives us is a deeper rest in Christ. That is his intention for you. For you to be more at rest in the power of Christ, in the work of Christ. This is Hebrews says something, the type of rest that you have to work toward. The single-minded purpose behind all the wisdom that God gives us is deeper rest in Christ. And when you receive the wisdom of God, you have to guard it with your life. Because if you don't guard it, if you don't hang on to that morsel of truth, you will become double-minded and unstable. That's the third point. We must receive God's wisdom single-mindedly instead of double-mindedly. Double-minded means you're wavering back and forth between God's voice and other voices. You're like a little boat out on a stormy sea being tossed back and forth by the waves, never making any progress. You're standing still, it feels like you're moving because you're getting pushed around, but you're just staying in the same place and you're at the mercy of the waves. That's the description of a person who hears God's voice and instead of holding on to that and living according to the truth of that, you listen to all manner of other voices too, including your own. I'll go back to explain this example that I used last week when Kara and I left Wadsworth um, in one of the, the passages that we hung on to with, was Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We were leaving a, a secure salary, a secure job to go into the unknown. And Matthew 6, 25 through 34 says that as long as you're chasing after the kingdom and living for Jesus, He'll take care of all of your needs. And we've seen him do this a million times over through the years. We heard God speak to us through that passage. God assured us, you'll be fine. Don't make the decision based on finances. Don't make the decision based on fear. I'm telling you that if you live for my kingdom, you'll be fine. So we hear that and we feel really good for 18 minutes, and then someone calls. And they say, have you thought about retirement? Are you gonna lose your retirement? Do you know if you take out your retirement, you're gonna get taxed in all these ways? What if you can't sell the house? What if you don't get a job? What if you never recover? You don't have insurance, you have two kids, do you know what you're doing? This is dangerous, you're not taking care of your family. And all these voices began to tell us began to talk us out of believing what God says is true, and they were all Christians. <laughs> Don't do that. What we had to do was turn deaf ears to the world and say, right now, we're listening to one voice. And we found that voice in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and we won't believe any other voice. And he took care of us every step of the way, sometimes supernaturally. It was miraculous. When you're double-minded, it means you've heard clearly from God on something, and then you're talked out of it by your own voice or the voices of other people who are well-meaning but dangerous. Let's take this full circle. Here's the spiritual principle. 
Every trial we experience in life contains within it a seed of a lesson. And if you don't learn that lesson this time around, through this trial, guess what? In a year, you're going to have another trial where God is going to try to teach you the same lesson. And if you don't learn the lesson that God is trying to teach you in that trial, guess what? Another six months later, you're going to have another trial with the seed of the same lesson. Don't waste your trials. Consider it pure joy when you face trials because you can ask for God for wisdom, for perspective, for insight. What are you trying to teach me here? And as you do that, he will teach you. You'll get another trial about something else later. Don't worry about it. But for this one, you can learn right now what it is, and you can grow right now. Don't waste your trials. Ask God, in the midst of whatever it is you're facing, what are you up to? What are you teaching me in this? How did we get here? How do you want me to move forward? What am I not seeing? What's your take on this situation? And as you sit with those questions and you begin to create space for God to actually speak to you and you write those things down in a journal and you learn, you will become a compelling human being who godly and spiritual wisdom just comes out of your pores. And as you make that a habit, a regular part of your life, you will grow and mature in ways you've never dreamed possible. The alternative is to not seek God's lesson and to never learn the lesson you were intended to learn and to never mature and to never grow. I've told you this before, but I used to go to a men's retreat and one of the guys who had been going to that particular retreat for like a decade said, you know the saddest thing about this retreat that breaks my heart every year is every year there are guys that are here and the only thing different about them is they have older skin. They've never matured. They've never grown. God is calling us to be men and women who can handle everything that life throws at us with joy, with peace, deeply at rest in Christ and able to help others who are experiencing similar suffering. That's all I got today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you love us enough to, to discipline us. You love us enough as a father to help us grow. You don't want us to remain stagnant. The worst scenario <laughs> is that we, we don't mature, that we remain stagnant in Christ and that as we are in Christ and walking with you, that we never get the lessons that you're teaching us. And we lose out this side of eternity and, and then we lose out in eternity as well. Thank you for the real, true spiritual wisdom. 
is the fact that you've opened up your family to all of us through Christ and through what Jesus did for us, what he accomplished on the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension and his work still today. You are inviting everyone into your family, all of us. And so I pray if we... If there are folks in here who are still investigating, still searching, still trying to discern if Jesus, you are for them, I pray that you would turn their hearts, open their eyes to the greatest wisdom of all, your wisdom that makes us one with you, that unites us with you so that we can make the most of the life that you've given us so that you can mature and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.